0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. At halftime, gym, Beast Mode calls me. I'm in my jacuzzi. He calls me. He's like, dude, did they call you yet? I'm like, bro, aren't you in the middle of a game? He's like, I don't <laughs> oh, care about that. Did they call you yet? If not, I'm not going back out there. 15 minutes later, uh, John Snyder gives me a call and asks me how I'm feeling. And the next day I was on a plane.
1: And now it's cracking. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas to all of you. Welcome to the Jim Podcast, episode 294, where my guest this week is a Super Bowl champion, a former Pro Bowler. He played eight years in the NFL with the Niners and the Seahawks. Longtime NFL fullback Michael Robinson, M Rob, hit the league as the 100th pick overall in the 06 draft. He built a reputation as one of the baddest toughest and most versatile fullbacks in the NFL. Since he is retired, he has built a reputation as one of the best and most knowledgeable analysts in the game at NFL Network and NBC Sports. In fact, you can catch him on NFL Network's NFL Total Access every Tuesday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Great spot. You want to check that out for sure. Or you can catch him right here on The Original Hustle. It is episode 294 with former Super Bowl champ Michael Robinson, and it's coming at you right now. So, Michael, it is the best time of year, but it is the busiest time of year, my man. So I really appreciate you making time for this. It is great to
0: have you on this pod. Michael, how you doing? Hey, man, doing great, man. Glad glad to have caught up with you, man. I talked to you years ago as I was going into the draft and then a couple times when I played, man. So it was definitely great to be on your be on your show
1: dude i appreciate you so much i appreciate that you remember that that is true i was thinking the exact same thing (laughs) there's been more than a minute so i'm glad you and i can get caught up you know i want to talk for a minute about your situation because obviously you've had a tremendous second career off the field working for really high profile platforms like nbc nfl network personally i don't think that's by accident when did you first start thinking about and working towards your life after football
0: uh, probably in high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm from Richmond, Virginia. We have a specialty center uh, at the high school that I went to, Verona High School, and uh, it was um uh uh the uh TV and broadcasting type of a deal. So, um, there was a specialty center at my high school, so I kind of did that for a year, my last year uh, in high school, and I, I grew I grew a love for it, and I always knew that if once I'm done playing, I still wanted to be able to be around it. And then uh, I started to realize what my superpower was in football was not necessarily that I could run fast, block and all that stuff and throw and all of that. But what it was was being able to think very clearly in high pressurized situations, which helped me in the broadcasting world. And so. Got into, the, got into college, got into the National Football League and kind of hone that skill. Um, like you said, it's not by mistake where I'm, I am where I am. I wanted to be doing this uh, when I was done playing football.
1: Dude, I absolutely love that you were able to identify and hone in on a superpower. Like that superpower, go back to that for a minute. Was that something, are you hardwired for that? Were you born with that? Or did you realize I could cultivate this, improve upon this, and that could be my separation?
0: Yeah, I think it was a little bit of, you know, obviously, I think I'm born with a little bit of something there. Um, and then I had a I had a, a youth football coach when I was like eight or nine years old. Basically, uh, we were getting ready for a game. Um, it was a lot of people playing and messing around. And I, I, I kind of screamed on everybody like, yo, chill out, man. We got a game, man. Let's get ready for it. And uh, I remember that head coach pulling me to the side and he's saying, dude, like, these kids don't listen to me like that. You know what I mean? And he, he was the first one to tell me, man, when you speak, people listen. And that can be, you can make a lot of money. You can influence a lot of people. But it also, it takes a great responsibility. You got to watch the things that you read. You got to watch the the movies that you watch, the shows that you that you um that you look at because again when you speak people listen and you have a responsibility to make sure people are listening to you the right way and so just the the people in my life have have kind of cultivated that my mother uh, she she raised my brother and I as a single parent and so just seeing her strength and seeing the things that she went through just kind of helped me identify what I was good at and then I said hey man why not just kind of parlay this into a career, something that I actually like doing.
1: Alright, so I love I love that for two different reasons. I love that moms took that on and she made, you know, she made so many sacrifices for you and your brother to be where you are and I love that you had a coach that said you have to be very careful about what you see and what you watch. Like, you always hear that phrase, Michael, you are what you eat, but in reality, you are what you consume. It's not just what you yep. eat, man. It's everything you watch, everything you see, everything you process. You know, you see so many athletes right now that, and I get this, they go right to consumer because they can, they can control of the message they've got their own platforms you were way out in front of this though back in the day you created the real rob report when did you do that and what kind of content were you pushing out back then
0: Yeah, this was kind of when the lockout and all of that stuff was happening right after the 2010 season, going into the 2011 season, that offseason. And uh, I had the – it was called the Rookie Report when I first started it with the San Francisco 49ers. That turned into the the, the Robinson Report where I basically just was cracking jokes on people in the locker room. Niners PR were great with me. And, again, I knew I wanted to get into the media side when I was – when everything was said and done. And so I just didn't want – when I was getting paid to be an on-air talent, I didn't want to make all of my mistakes there. I wanted to make my mistakes while I was a a player in the National Football League and everybody still wanted to hear uh, what I had to say. And so I definitely created it there. And then when I got to Seattle, you know, it was about, it was the lockout. You know what I'm saying? My first year there, I didn't didn't actually do it in 2010. I did it again going into 2011, my my second year there. And I just wanted to kind of, cover what guys were doing during the lockout because we didn't know how long this thing was going to happen uh how long this thing was going to last and so that kind of parlayed into me sitting in front of my locker uh during media sessions during the week and guys you know started coming up to me we started coming up with ideas i started learning how to produce segments i started writing script and uh again man i I wanted to be great at what I'm doing now. And I think all the reps that I got when I was in the National Football League creating my own show made it easier for me to get opportunities No, now.
1: I love that, dude. I love that. And especially what you understood, I'm sure, was this was not like some side hustle and some, some hobby that you half-ass. You probably attacked it and approached it the same way you did the game, right? Like, I'm not saying it is the game, and I'm not saying you get the same adrenaline rush necessarily, but the process has to be similar, right? You have to take a serious approach to it it
0: uh, you definitely have to and you got to think bro like i went to the pro bowl as a fullback right i'm uh, you know fullbacks don't get in the end zone that much but i have to be just as excited when beast mode gets into the end zone because i helped kind of help him get there right and so that, 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 that that's what it's all about to me you know what i'm saying it's all about you know m- uh, working hard making sure that we get the entire show across the goal line you know what i'm saying so yeah, man, it's a it's a lot of hard work. Uh, I watch every single game, every single play of every single game every single week on Sundays after I come back from my college show from doing um, uh, college football in the Big Ten with NBC. I have like six or seven screens going. Man, I watch everything. I talk to a lot of different analysts throughout the week, as long as as well as coaches and general managers. So I'm really in tune with like the X's and O's and kind of the evolution of offense and and and, and how different positions are are changing. Right, right in front of our faces. That's the; Those are the things that I get excited about.
1: Do the work, dude. Do the work. No shortcuts, man. No hacks. Now, the funny <laughs> thing about that, Michael, you're like, I'm a fullback. I don't get the end zone very often. But for those who don't know or don't remember, your career arc as a player is incredible. Like, you played quarterback in high school in Virginia where you were a two-time first-team All-State selection. You played quarterback at Penn State along with being a wide receiver. And then when you got to the NFL, you were a running back before ultimately converting to to fullback. I mean, dude, that is crazy. What was it like to change from full, from running back to fullback on the NFL level?
0: <laughs> well, you almost don't have a chance. You always almost, almost don't have a choice if you want like if you want to stay in the National Football League. And my goal was always to make it to the National Football League. It wasn't to be an NFL quarterback. And so, I just always I asked when I got when I first got to the San Francisco 49ers, Norm Turner was the offensive coordinator. My only wish to him was, "Hey, watch me take some snaps." watch me drop back. If you don't like what you, you know, if you like it, Hey, let's keep, developing this thing if you don't I'll play whatever I'll do whatever you guys need me to do and that's when I got moved to running back learn some things under who I believe is going to be a hall of fame uh, running back and Frank Gore he was only a year ahead of me but he taught me so much man like he welcomed me in even though he knew that I got drafted a year right after him and that I should be and I'm going to be getting some carries so it was great by Frank to kind of just show me the ropes as a tailback and then when we got Mike Martz um, the coach of the you know greatest show on turf with the uh, Uh, St. Louis Rams. He ended up being my OC in San Francisco and that's when I officially got moved to fullback but if you know Mike Mart's offenses, fullbacks are pretty much like another tailback. I affected the game in the passing game and I only had to block ISOs and stuff like that part time but when I got to Seattle, that's when I kind of gained a little bit more weight put on my big boy shoulder pads and and became a true fullback but uh if you want to stay in this in in the league you do what your coaches ask you to do and again i wanted to win the ultimate goal which was a super bowl and i got that
1: you did that too So I've got to tell you guys about this. The other day, I've come across a product that all of us should be carrying around. It's something totally different for fresh breath. It's an amazing product called Zellman's Minty Mouth. And I'm telling you, it's a game changer. If you're up in the grill with somebody else and you're making your case for whatever it is, make sure your breath is fresh. Zellman's cleans your breath in a way that other mints don't and can't because it's not just a mint. It's a functional breath freshener capsule that you swallow. Clinically tested against the toughest offenders like garlic and onions, you just pop two or three in your mouth, you suck the minty coating, then you swallow the capsule for the confidence of fresh, clean breath, and it lasts for hours. This product is like nothing else you've ever tried. It fights bad breath in your mouth, and then it goes right down to your gut. This is the ultimate hack to get rid of coffee, garlic, or smoker's breath. You're going to like having the confidence of long-lasting fresh breath or your money back guaranteed. These folks will give you your money back. Not that you'll want it, but they will. They have free shipping if you order three packs or more. Trust me, you're going to want more, and nobody likes to pay for shipping. Go to zelmans.com right now. That's Z-E-L-M-I-N-S.com right now. You'll get 15% off when you use my promo code Rome. That's Z E L M I N S dot com. You have to use the code ROME to get your 15% savings. Do it now. So I, I could follow up on any number of those things, but I want to ask you about somebody you just mentioned, and that's Frank Gore. See, now, in what I do, I have my listeners I don't want to bite the hand that feeds but I've got a small my mi- small minority of morons that when Frank played <laughs> would always kind of clown this guy for being like the oldest guy in the world older than dirt this that and the other I'm like man you don't how do I say this? You don't fucking understand about Frank Gore. Frank Gore, <laughs> everybody who knows knows that Frank Gore is a freaking legend, dude. He's an icon. He's a beast. He's a man. Whatever you want to say about Frank Gore is a footballer. It's all true. What was it like? I mean, help me make this argument, Michael. This guy was incredible in the way he approached it, the way he worked it, the way he played. What would you say about Frank Gore as a football player?
0: I, I, I'd say this. Um First of all, I think the guy averaged 295 yards rushing uh, his year, one of his years in high school. Think about that. He was he grew up in Florida. Okay, he grew up in Florida, where all the speed, all the everybody, all the athletes are down there. And he averaged 295 yards a game. <laughs> it's a joke. Okay. I, I, just think about that for a second, all right? That's number one. Uh, number two, I've had an opportunity to be around some great running backs like Clint Portis, um, uh, Edron James, guys that went to the University of, of Miami, Najee Davenport, all of these guys. And every single one of them, not some of them, not two or three – Every one of them say Frank Gore is the most talented guy they have ever seen. Every last one of them. And then when I look at on tape, I, I don't care if you talk about when he was with the Jets at the end of his career or Indy at the end of his career or whether he was running down the football field with the San Francisco 49ers in his heyday. There has not been a back of this generation to have the eyes that Frank Gore has. He's able to make lemonade out of lemons. He's able to get a yard when there's nothing there. And again, these are top top backs in the National Football League still watch this guy's tape to figure out how he moved people at the second level and how he was able to get yards. And so uh, I, I know his, his boxing career maybe not maybe is not where, where his football career was, but uh, definitely a great dude. And, and the great part about it is, Jim, is when I call him, I don't care if we haven't talked in months or years, when I call him, he picks up the phone. And that's a true, true sign of a great man with great character.
1: Yeah. You nailed that. that. That's such a great explanation, Michael. He is. And even like when I would check him with Frank, like you know, Frank, he's, he's a little bit introverted with the media, yeah. but he always would come on the show, always gave us access, always said yes. I love the point that you made. When you start dropping names like Edwin James, Najee, I mean, the best of the best from the U— They all look up to this guy. Those guys are all icons, so that should tell you exactly what you need to know about Frank. As far as in boxing, I mean, yeah, it's not the same thing, but clearly he's searching, right? Michael, what do guys do? Mm -hmm. Like, you had a plan. You always had a plan. If that's always been your identity and you want to compete, and especially when you're used to the contact, and all of a sudden there's no outlet. Like, all of a sudden you don't have the structure, you don't have the motivation, you're no longer that guy. How hard is that for a lot of guys when the cheering
0: stops? Very difficult, Jim. Um, one thing I life coach some guys that 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 first come out of the league or just finished playing football because sometimes it's not the league where it's your last playing day. Sometimes it's college. Sometimes you're 21, 22 years old and you've realized there's no more football for me. What do I do now? My whole life has been defined by it, and I always tell guys you got to find your schedule because think about it. Like when you're involved with the National Football League, I don't care if it's April. I know what I'm doing if I'm an NFL player. If it's September, I know what I'm doing. If it's March, I'm vacationing. I know because that's my that's the first month of my off season. If it's February, I know I may be going to the Super Bowl, whether I'm playing or whether I'm you know going for marketing opportunities. Every month, I mean, like like the the football season orders your schedule. It 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 dictates when you wake up. And so I always tell people, you first of all, you got to find a love that's going to get you up out of the bed like football did. That's why I love this new generation of kids. Now, obviously, they have some issues, too. I'm talking about from an athletic standpoint. They have some issues, too. But I'm talking about as far as these kids having other loves other than football. And I think it's great for it's great for our guys to have other loves to be doing other things outside of football, especially in their off seasons. And these guys understand money. They get paid now in college. So from a money management standpoint, their families understand money now. And so hopefully this generation can start to build a little bit of wealth. And I know I went off a little bit of a tangent there. But guys got to find their schedule, Jim. And again, it starts with you finding something else you love just as much as you loved, like football.
1: And that's hard. And that's hard. And that's definitely the goal. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Grab instead a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper or Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made from real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It goes wherever you go. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way, you can see exactly what you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Michael, you made the point that one of the things that you wanted to accomplish, you wanted to be in the NFL, you wanted to play in the NFL, you wanted to get to a Super Bowl, and you did that. You know, I talk, it becomes kind of redundant, but I ask athletes this all the time because I know I have an idea what goes into it, the pride and the commitment so few guys get to actually go out on their own terms even fewer get to walk it off on top and you did both your final game was super bowl 48 a 43 to 8 win over the broncos you were only 31 so was that your decision or maybe did the game let you know it was time share that story
0: well (laughs) first and foremost um when away games and i remember Ladanian Tomlinson um him and i w- shared stories about this when when you do away games and you start missing the hell out of your family and your kids and you you start feeling that 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 hit in your stomach like oh man i'm leaving them like that's when that's when it's starting and i started that maybe year 5 in the national football league every away game is like man this is getting harder man I think I'm going to cry. You know what I'm Mm. saying? When I'm leaving and it's just like, I'll be back in a few days, but it was just getting harder. My kids were very young. I mean, very young. And I just wanted to be around for everything. My wife was, was there by herself and I I just wanted to be there for her. So, you know, that was tough. You know what I mean? And, and, and and that, that was something that I was feeling. Number one, number two, um, I got sick so the, the the start of the 2013 season, to make a long story short, uh, I thought I had an ankle injury at the beginning of the training camp. I went in to the doctor's first day of training camp, said, Hey, give me some Indocin. I asked for it by name, right? It's an anti inflammatory. Asked for it, um, they gave it to me couple of days later, I started losing weight. A couple of days later after that, you know, and when I played fullback, I was a 253-pound guy uh, during training camp. A couple of days after that, I'm down to now 231, and I'm wondering, what, I'm lifting, I'm trying to eat. <clears throat> How come I'm not keeping on weight? And then there were some other things going on with me biologically. And uh, I remember playing, playing um, the Denver Broncos in the second preseason game that year. And uh, me and Von Miller, we have a great relationship. And, uh, I remember hitting him and he, and I went down and he was like, damn, Mike, like you usually give me a little bit more than that. And he helped me up. And, and that's when I kind of knew there was something going on, went into the training room the next day and found out that my liver and my kidneys were failing B- based off of a, you know, a rare blood trait that I had. And, um, uh, I basically the indescent that I asked for was killing me now at the time. And, uh, to have a doctor, the number one liver and kidney specialist in North America, come see me and basically say, man, like people don't have two of these episodes. People survive one, but there's no, there's nothing on record to show that somebody survives two of these episodes. So we only recommend that you, you know, take two Tylenol a day. That's as much as that you can take, you know, and you got to think, Jim, I took a five hour energy to wake up in the morning. I took two or five hour energies to get going on game. Day. I took an Enderson to get through practice. I took a, I, I took um toward all shots to get through games. I took eight I took eight hundred milligram Tylenols to get just through the night. You know what I mean? Because I'm not a I am not I was not a natural fullback. I had to put on weight to get to get that. And so understanding that no longer was that going to be my life. Yeah, I was going to be a little bit more healthier, but. I needed something to mask the pain. I needed something because my body just wasn't going to be able to hold up. And so I just kind of knew I needed to get through that season. And plus I knew that we had a championship roster. And so I got cut uh, at the end of uh, training camp, ended up being able to come back five or six weeks later and uh, winning a Super Bowl, man. It's one of those things that, uh, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better ending to my career.
1: I mean, dude, that's incredible. Like, Mike, you, I mean, you just laid it out, what you had to do to get through the day to play the game because we know that your best ability is availability and you knew that this was your best shot. As you were processing that whole thing, like, what were the doctors telling you? What was your family telling? you was not playing an option or were you going to play no matter what
0: yeah not playing was on the table actually uh when I got cut I went I used to live in Arizona um I went back to Arizona went back to my house um and you know kind of just kind of waited some things out went in the media did some things you know with NFL Network ESPN some of those places um and I didn't know I I, in my head uh, my career was over And then, um, you know, I stayed working out or whatever. And, you know, once my, you know, my my blood levels got to, got back healthy and I started gaining weight again and things like that, I started actively going on shows and I asked every host that uh, I was on a show with please you have to ask me how I'm doing and so I started recruiting myself I started basically throwing myself out there hey I'm a pro bowl fullback man I'm back to you know I'm back to 240 pounds I did 225 18 reps this morning you know I'm I'm literally saying this on national TV and Some of these networks started receiving calls. I started receiving calls. I actually took a couple visits, um, but I knew Seattle is where I wanted to be. And it was a Thursday night football game. I think it was week five where the San Francisco, I mean, where um, my Seattle Seahawks, we played the Arizona Cardinals. I went up to the hotel. It was in Arizona. I went up to the hotel, hung out with everybody. And um, the fullback, Derek Coleman, who he's actually deaf. So his story is also amazing. The fullback at the time got injured. And I, at halftime, Jim, at halftime, Beast smoke calls me. I'm in my jacuzzi. He calls me. He's like, dude, did they call you yet? I'm like, bro, aren't you in the middle of a game? He's oh, like, I don't dude. care about that. Did they call you yet? If not, I'm not going back out there. 15 minutes later, uh, John Snyder gives me a call and asks me how I'm feeling. And the next day I was on a plane. So that's the bond we had. Um, in that locker room and that's how we won championships and that's how I was able to process my future. I knew this was going to be one more season. I knew we had a championship roster. To get your name in indelible ink, to be able to go back to Seattle whenever I wanted to, we had to win that championship and I had to be a part of it. That shit's incredible. What an
1: amazing story that is. So Beast Mode lobbing you a telephone call, like, did you get the call? Did you call? Where are you? When you talk about those bonds, can you even describe, I mean, I can't even imagine, having never played the game, much less at that level, I will never understand those bonds. But then you've got a next level of those bonds that you must have had in that Seattle locker room. How would you describe what it was like and how tight you were with those guys?
0: It, It was our team. It was our team. Um. Pete would come in and, yeah, he had plans about what we would do during the day and things like that. And credit to Pete Carroll. He gave us the reins. I I truly believe a coach cannot create culture. I believe a coach can create the parameters for a culture. I believe a coach can create the expectations for the season, and a culture can derive from that. But a culture has to come from the players. And I respect the hell out of John Snyder and Pete Carroll because every major decision since when I was there – I got consulted on. I got called into the room, whether it was uh, Percy Harvin, whether it was drafting Russell Wilson and we already had Matt Flynn, whether it was – I mean, whatever the case may be, he consulted guys in the locker room whether you know our guy's tired do we need to have on pads today all of those things so um that was our locker room and we knew that I, i've broken up fights <laughs> uh one big one uh, the day before the super bowl if you i don't know if we won't get into that one but uh can you up fights. can you are you willing but to also... i'd love
1: i'd love to hear about that if you can
0: <laughs> but i've also i've also had dinners for them same people fighting where everybody's hugging and we know that we've had some of the best experiences in the world, but that's what family does, Jim. That's what families do.
1: Yeah, bro. Did you pretend like you didn't hear the question or did you ignore the question? <laughs> what big, what big fight did you break up before the Super Bowl?
0: Well, you know, it was, it was a little scuffle, man. Um, my man Golden Tate, Percy Harvin, just, you know, just a little bit of, a. Little wide receiver, but if you know wide receivers, man, they you know they're so dependent. They need the they need the o line to block. They need the quarterback to throw the football the right way. They need everybody, you know. And they you know. He got a little heated today before the Super Bowl. That's all.
1: I feel you. Shit's got to be perfect. You know how they are. You know how they get. <laughs> Listen, what, what about, yes. but before you go, what about Marshawn? Like, I, I don't even know how, where do, you, where do you even start with Beast Mode? Like, to block with this guy, to share a running back room with this guy, like, such an, an, a different dude, so different. What would you, how would you describe him as a dude and a player?
0: Oh, man. Um, genuine, authentic, obviously. Um, my brother, uh, he's 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 babysat my kids when they were like 10 11 months old to give me and my wife a date night um there's times now where uh my 14 year old is on facetime and he's talking to beast mode and i haven't talked to beast mode in three months but my, my 14 year old is on the phone with him i mean that's the type of guy he is man and this guy's an international star like he can go anywhere in the country anywhere in the world almost and people recognize his brand and recognize who he is and um you know, we've been down – like, I, you know, I've been down the back alley with them, so to speak, in, in game situations where we've had to really rely on each other. And when you have those experiences, man, it's like – you. <laughs> we're going to be homies we're going to be best friends forever you know what i'm saying because of those experiences and and so uh whenever he calls me whenever he needs me to do something i'm there and vice versa and actually i'm you know just to give a little tease we might got a little project that we're working on that's should be coming out here pretty soon so, i like that can yeah, you talk yeah, about that
1: can you talk about that or no
0: i can't talk about it okay. in detail right now
1: all right yeah. we'll look forward to it i like that that's smart hey before you go when you talk about the bonds in that locker room i mean you could see it What about Mike? Back in the day, all the the reports of like friction between Russ and the LOB because Russ got preferential treatment. Is that how you remember it? Is that how it was? What really
0: happened? Um, I wouldn't say it was. I wouldn't say beef between LOB and Russ, so to speak. Um, I think it's more of just the dynamics of a team, right? When we were one of those first teams to, you know, be really, really good around the quarterback and the quarterbacks on his rookie deal. People understand the quarterback is usually the leader in the locker room, right? But on that team, he wasn't. <laughs> he was one of the guys. That team was led by a big time defense, a big in the in the running back. I mean, so, uh, the guys that we hung out with, you know, Beast Mode and myself, we hung out with a lot of defensive guys. Obviously, we hung out with offensive guys too. But I mean, you know, Big Red, Chris Clemens, you know, um, uh, Leroy Hill, guys like that. Those were, those were the guys that you know, we were all, always around. And so I wouldn't necessarily say it was that. I, I think it was more of guys on defense, the L.O.B. and things like that, wanting to be recognized for the the, the, the true special way that they were playing football. And in the, in the media, a lot of times, it's easy to just say, look at what the quarterback's doing. And I think that sometimes made for... um I don't like to say arguments. Heated fellowship, heated fellowship, <laughs> he fellowship discussions fellowship. in the locker right. room. There you go, Jim. <laughs> I like it. I like it. dude. Absolutely.
1: The, the, that defense, man. What a special group that was. And I can only imagine. Like there might be these bonds, and it might be a player led team. But these are enormous personalities, dude. Enormous yes. personalities, alphas everywhere. How in the world did you divvy up the leadership? How did that work?
0: Well, um, it was one of those you gotta understand how that team was built, right? In twenty ten, I think um Seattle, I think Pete and John had, you know, probably the most um business uh interactions or whatever you wanna call it, transactions of any team, uh, throughout training camp and throughout the season. I mean, we made it to the playoffs on a seven and nine team. We weren't that good, man. We really weren't. You know, I mean we were good in spots, but we really we, we really weren't that good. And during that time, when Pete brought us in cuz I got there uh, right after training camp and when he when he brought us in it, there were certain guys like myself um Leon Washington Red Bryant that was who was already on the roster but well, he told us like th- th- this is your team you you're, you are directly how in the in the prototype of the character that we want this team built on and and, and honestly Jim before being recruited in college, and you know how that business is, they're gonna tell you what you want to hear. Uh, I had never heard that before from a coach. I had nobody had told me like that I was the guy that they wanted to build the foundation of their team about. So I took everything personal. I took everything like, no, nah, you know, we we're not gonna do that. We're doing this. I took ownership in it. Ray Bryant took ownership in it. Chris Clemens took ownership in it. When B Smo got there, he took ownership in it. And so it was just different. It was just different. And so when, when Richard Sherman and those guys were coming up after we saw those guys coming to the league, I remember Richard uh, right before we played the Cincinnati Bengals, he said, Mike Rob, I'm getting a start this week, bro. Uh, he sat right in front of me. I sat in the, in the second row in the big team meeting room. He sat in the first row his rookie year. Um, he said, Mike Rob, I'm getting a start. I'm going up against A.J. Green. I, I, I think I can shut him down. I said, well, go ahead and do it, dog. You know what I'm saying? He said, but I'm going to let the world know about it. When when it's all said and done, I said, well, look, bro, as long as you ball and can back it up, we got your back, talk that shit. And that's exactly what happened. And the rest, obviously he, he went to make a bunch of money and be one of the, you know, premier defensive backs of our generation. You see what I'm saying? It was those types of things because that personality who was probably one of the biggest on the team had humble, had people that he could talk to to humble them and give them the real. You see what I'm saying? I do. To me, that's what builds championship teams.
1: That's that's a great story, too. Like, Sherm, from the second he walked in, he's like, I know I can do it. And then you're going to hear about it after I do it. And then the response from the vets had to be, all right, all right, young man, that's fine. That's fine. Make sure you back that shit up. Make sure you back that up. U.S. Cellular wants to help everybody get the gift of connection this holiday season. Already a customer? This applies to you, too, because right now, new and current customers can get any phone, and I mean any phone, for free. Yes, really free. Sounds like it's time to make the switch. Spread holiday cheer far and wide this season with a new phone. Everybody can get the gift of connection at U.S. Cellular. Get any phone free today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms apply. Visit uscellular.com for for details, The thing about Sherm, like, what were your first impressions before you go? Like, that's a really smart dude, right? And that's a dude who came up a certain way with, the, I mean, with a certain ferocity. And I'm not saying that's the greatest athlete ever, but, man, Sherm was different. What was your first impression of Sherm when you met him?
0: This dude is super smart. Yeah. I remember um I think it was a nine on seven or something, and he happened to be, you know, messing around and, and and being one of the scout team guys. This is before he started playing a lot. And um he told me something about how I was blocking a guy. And I'm like, what the hell are you watching this for? Like, why are you even watching? He's like, he and he told me, he said, Well, bro, in this defense, there's times where I'm the forced player and I'm gonna have to encounter fullback. So I watch you to see what happens and what you do and you do a great job and when you make contact, your feet go on fire and he started going and all this. I'm like, dude, you play outside. Why? Why do you care? What are you doing? This dude is looking at this thing. He's playing chess, not checkers. And he had my respect ever since then.
1: That's great. Leave me with this thought, dude. I appreciate you so much. When you see, because people made a thing out of this, and you're now in the media, so you can comment on these things. When Sean Payton lights up Russ the way he did this past weekend, I mean, do you have any issue with that? Does that? Is that over the line, or is that just ball, and is that just
0: a coach? No, that's just a coach. And especially, you got to know your coach. Like, okay, Pete Carroll would never do that because Pete, is so positive that he's gonna out positive anything that could. You see what I'm saying? He's yeah. not gonna go there. Sean Payton is a little bit different, a little bit old school, right? Um, he's gonna, he's gonna put you through the adversity from him, and if you can handle it from him, you can handle it from the world. Type deal. It's one of those types of types. Is I don't see no problem with it. Um, I got a chance to talk to Russ before that game. I covered that game for NFL Network. We did our pregame show out there. We did, you know, and Russ was in great spirits before the game and after. Um, I think he's playing a lot better now. And less Russ, what I mean by less Russ is less throwing Russ gets you more Russ. You know what I mean? Less passing attempts run the football and allow Russ to be special in those special moments. But I honestly think Sean was getting at Russ for hiking the football because I think he 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 wanted them to challenge that play before. So that's what I think the whole thing was about. I don't know nothing for real though.
1: So last thought, do you like Russ's response in that moment? I mean easy for any of us to say how you would act in that moment. I mean I mean you want to be who you are, right? You want to be authentic. Russ was stoic, dude. He didn't blink but he didn't he didn't react at
0: all. Did you like the way he reacted to that? You damn right, I liked it because it's showing my, it's showing, it's showing the competitor in him. He probably wanted to slap Sean Payton in the face. Right, he right. Probably did, but he's a respectful young man, and he's showing Sean Payton. Yeah, I'm listening to you, but you, don't get too froggy, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> because I'm a young man too. You see, what I think it was just that, it's that ego going back and forth. I have no problem with that. I actually want my quarterback to be a little bit of a killer in that regard.
1: Yeah, I mean, see, that's the thing. I mean, it's one thing for that interaction but shit with the whole world watching man cameras on you and you're in it that's a tough thing
0: jim jim that stuff has been happening since for the last hundred years in football it's just that because we got more cameras and people can see it now it makes it wrong
1: oh no no i agree with you i'm just saying man it makes you more (laughs) it makes you more challenging you're like everybody sees everything now it's like everybody sees the second you and i our feet hit the ground mike we walk out the door everybody sees everything but that's part of the world man the world's changed right
0: it is it sure has, man. Again, I talk to old guys all the time. They say, man, I would not want to be a young person with all this social media and cameras around now, man. It's a lot more trouble.
1: No, they grew <laughs> up with it. It's true. Mike, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, man. I can't believe it's been as long as it's been since we got to get caught up like that, but it was worth the wait. Appreciate you. Appreciate your time. And I know how busy you are. So thank you so much for going long for man. That was an absolute blast. You're a pro.
0: Thank you, brother. Anytime.
1: How do you not come away absolutely impressed with that cat? What a perfect time of year, too, for a high-quality, extended NFL chat. And Michael was the perfect dude to turn to for that chat. So thanks to my guy for bringing what he always does. Total Pro. And again, you can catch more of M. Rob on NFL Network's NFL Total Access every Tuesday and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. My thanks to Mike. That was an absolute blast. Also, thanks to all of you. I am extremely thankful that I have this platform, and I am thankful to every last one of you who listens every single week. You have stuck with this pod now. For 294 episodes, so you know you have my gratitude. And I hope all of you have a happy and healthy and safe holiday season. If you enjoy listening to this pod as much as I enjoy making this pod, why don't you consider finding and then smashing the subscribe button. And I will catch you in the new year for episode 295. See you then.